Hey, welcome to another Coaching You Basketball Podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. And I'll tell you, this is, uh, I love when we get an opportunity to visit with people, faculty members from Coaching You that we've had over the years with us. Uh, today's treat, Spencer Wood, Dr. Spencer Wood, uh, one of the most renowned sports psychologists, mental skills coaches in the world. Uh, been a dear friend, worked with all the teams I've ever coached. I think you're really going to enjoy him. He's going to take you into some areas, but he's going to give you a practical advice on how to coach some of your players. Can't emphasize enough. Take advantage of some of the opportunities he's going to talk to you about at the end. Uh, I've been working with Spence for 10 years. Uh, I find, think you'll find him to be one of the most compelling people in all of sports, but really is fabulous in basketball. Dr. Spencer Wood. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. The neat thing, as always, about doing uh, our podcast is uh, some of the folks that we have as guests are amazing, amazing friends. And this is one of my longest friends uh, that we've done uh, since I started coaching you. And that is my friend, Spencer Wood. Spence, how are you, my buddy? I am doing really well. Good to be with you, Brendan. Spence, let's talk about uh, first a little bit about your background. uh, And then, you know, we'll tell some stories along the way of how you've helped some of my teams and stuff. But uh, talk about how uh first of all uh as people can tell that is not a new england accent or a southern accent uh that is a gorgeous british accent tell them how you got to the united states (laughs) well i initially came on an athletic scholarship um this is going back more years than i actually care to admit publicly now um going back to the very early 90s i was fortunate enough to get a full ride uh, to play the last sport you would typically associate with a five foot eight Englishman, uh, which is basketball. Everyone assumed that I was a soccer player in college. Not so. I, I did walk onto my soccer team in college only because everyone incorrectly assumed that I, being English and male, that I could actually play soccer and help out the program. And boy, were they wrong. Um, but I actually got my full scholarship playing basketball. And of, of course, I was a a point guard. So um, I came in the early 90s and 
ended up playing in a very to a very limited degree about 17 seconds of professional basketball um and i'm not being falsely humble when i say that <laughs> it did not last long but it, but i had a, a, a wonderful time and a wonderful experience and had some good coaches along the way and and ended up settling in the united states and living that quote-unquote american dream marrying with kids and and carving out a, a really blessed career in the united states you married way over your head by the way i just got to I, mention it but that it, that that is a sign of a good sports psychologist though that you, you everyone, achieved your dreams everyone, beyond that everyone tells me the same thing brendan <laughs> you know so when we first met uh you know uh you know i was having trouble with one of the teams i was coaching most teams that i coached i had trouble with but uh you know and and we had come uh to meet and stuff and then you know the things that you talked about to me resonated so strongly and i think that's the way it is in all of teaching and coaching uh parenting whatever is that when people say things you either agree or disagree i really agreed uh and then that became really what you called your four c's take us through your four c's which became your edge program which is one of the most successful uh programs that's out on the market you know, for teaching uh, sports psychology. Sure. Well, they say that when you trace the roots of athletic greatness, you will always find excellence in the same four areas mentally every single time. And I call those four areas the four C's of peak performance. They relate to an athlete's composure, his or her concentration, their confidence, and their commitment. And I think that you can, again, trace the roots of any great either individual or team performance back to one or more of those critical four C's. So I've spent the last 17 years really being having a high degree of interest, both on a research level and also working with with different teams and universities and and uh, and at the professional level, working with the teams to develop each of those four C's. You know, when, uh, you know, and, and we got to see, I got to see you uh, perform and present, uh, rather than perform, present, uh, you know, to some of the biggest, most successful national championship programs in the country, to professional teams, but also uh, to small, I remember one night in Florida, I went down to St. Leo College down there, uh, you know, uh, outside of Tampa, you know, a, a, a very small Division Two team, and watched you perform and make a presentation to their entire athletic program and coaches, and you know, and I thought it was as powerful as when I saw you, you know, in the same state at UCF or at, at University of Florida working with their teams, because sports psychology, uh, it's really about. You know, does the individual athlete that you're talking to, do they buy in, right? Yeah, w without a doubt, Brendan. I, I can say with hand on heart that I, I must be the luckiest trainer on planet Earth because I'm doing something that I believe is extremely helpful. And at the same time, I, I just love it. And while I've been very fortunate, and I, and I appreciate you giving me that bio plug there, I've been very, very fortunate to have worked with some of the larger programs in in conferences like the Big Ten and the ACC, um, the Pac-12, Big 12, SEC, and work with a, a few teams in the NBA um, as one of the examples of the professional leagues. But at the same time, um, Division Two, Division Three schools, NAIA schools, and even the occasional high school, um, I've I've been privileged enough to work with. And I think that whether you're impacting a group of 20 coaches or 200 coaches, or whether you're impacting a group of 
10 athletes on a small athletic team or you're working with all of the athletes in an entire athletic program at a large division one school which could number five or six hundred athletes uh, there are advantages and and there are wonderful things about working with with big groups and small groups alike with, with small groups you can be a little bit more intimate and dig down into some of the the details and the key issues that are occurring um, at, a, at a smaller school or, or working with a smaller team. Um, and then with some of the larger groups, yes, you can have broader impact, um, but you typically have to cover things like pressure performance or how an athlete bounces back from mistakes with very broad brushstrokes. And again, with a wider audience, there is arguably more impact because there's greater numbers, but you are handling subjects with, without sounding too redundant with very broad brushstrokes versus with laser-like efficiency honing in on an individual athlete's uh, particular needs. And I, and I think that that's a very important point that you raise, Brendan, because when you look at mental skills, when you look at the area of sports psychology as a whole, I think that, that coaches in the 21st century are largely bought into the need to have a greater amount of mental toughness and that that is a huge edge. The poise under pressure is very important. The focus with the game on the line is very important. That building confidence when you need it the most, particularly for big game preparation, is very, very important. But typically how many, not all, but how many coaches handle that is just to talk about the fact that we need to be tougher mentally or just talk about the fact that we need to elevate our confidence. Well, mouthing the words doesn't necessarily make that happen. There needs to be an actual transfer of skills that can help in each of those key areas. And so I think that um, were every coach in the country absolutely phenomenal at doing that, I'd be out of a job. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, so I'm glad uh, to a degree that the interest is growing uh, but there is still a need for teachers of those skills. And whether you're working directly with coaches to help them coach a little bit better in key timeouts or, or in that pregame message or what to say to an athlete who is going through a particular slump um, or whether you are working with a, a large group of athletes for a, you know, a big pregame message to kick off the year or um, a message going into the postseason that can help them to focus a little bit better and reduce some of the pressure in their mind. I, I think there's, uh, there's, there's opportunities in both areas. Our friends at Crossover want to help you coach smarter and win more games. They'll cut and tag your game film for you, giving you back interactive shot charts, searchable clips, and advanced statistics in just 12 hours. Stop wasting time in the film room doing all that tedious prep work. Simply log in and start getting powerful analysis straight from your video. Even if you think you already know what these guys are all about, I suggest you take another look. Their new insights, features, create hex spin charts and shooting efficiency reports for you and your opponents. Something you're not going to get with Huddle or anybody else. Get the boys and girls teams on board and you'll both save 10%. Add on football, volleyball, lacrosse, hockey or soccer and your savings go up from there. Sign up at www.crossover.com forward slash coaching you to receive one free game that's crossover with a k dot com slash coaching you to get one free game okay so let's make this uh, very basketball specific the people that are listening uh on this podcast are men and women coaches uh basically we have some youth level coaches but mainly high school and college coaches and all the guys in the NBA and WNBA, 
the, all those guys, head coaches and assistants, they're listening, but they don't want to tell anyone. Okay, so now talk to them, okay, about the four C's and make it directly if you're talking to a team uh, about the 12 men or women on that team uh, and why each of the four C's is important and anything you can tip them with of how to help them. Sure. Well, I think that with these four particular C's, composure, concentration, confidence, and commitment, again, you can trace the roots of any great performance and you'll find one or more of these four C's. And I'll give you a very good example. When you look at how an athlete bounces back from their mistakes, and let's talk shop for a moment in, in basketball. If you look at a, an athlete making a late game turnover or an athlete who is the team's best shooter and he or she has missed now a couple shots or three shots in a row, there are some athletes who seem to be at their very best right after being at their very worst and others who enter into that maelstrom of anger, frustration, self-pity, reduced confidence that just seems to get worse and worse and worse. Well, if you look at how an athlete bounces back and forgive me for throwing out cutesy acronyms, I, th I think sometimes it helps an athlete or a coach to get their arms around what is sometimes seen as a kind of complicated subject. Mental skills is actually really simple. Bouncing back involves three simple Fs. The ability to flush the mistake, get it out of your system. The ability to fix it in your mind and repair it so that you are better next time. And then the ability to forget the mistake so that it doesn't occupy your mind and the mind doesn't shift to consequences and outcome and, oh, woe is me, this could cost us the game. It helps the athlete to stay present versus the athlete taking uncomfortable steps and starting to think uncomfortable steps mentally and starting to think about consequences and outcomes. So these three steps, flush, fix, forget, they are all related to aspects of the four C's. Because if you break this down for just a second, and let's get very granular, if you look at the flush component of the three F's, flush, fix, forget, flush component is all about whether you can maintain really strong, confident, tough body language which is typically three things. It's, it's, it's head up, chin up, eyes up. When you look at an athlete, when he or she makes a mistake, typically you'll see one of those things drop. The eyes will drop. The light will leave the eyes. Um, the, the chin will drop. Um, the chest will drop. The head will drop. An athlete who has great body language, even though that's the most superficial part of flush, is a, that's a great start. Second, the flush is is really executed when you've got an athlete who can actually control their emotions. And I think that that's the biggest aspect of flush because emotional regulation and whether an athlete is extremely high emotionally or extremely low emotionally will often predicate actual performance. And so when you have an athlete who, let's just say after a mistake, um, they're typically um, uh, normally when they're playing very well, they're emotionally even keeled, but after a mistake, emotions begin, begin to get elevated. And typically when that happens, there's that cliched fight or flight reaction that kicks in where, you know what, the breathing cycles, cycles change, the, the heart rate changes, you get that uncomfortable nodding sensation in the pit of your stomach, that sick feeling where you know you've made a terrible mistake. And worse still, muscular tension levels begin to rise. This is a killer for an athlete then to go out and try to make um, the second free throw after a missed uh, free throw or to try and bounce back again from a, a missed shot. When an athlete is able to generate some emotional regulation, and, and you've seen me speak enough times, Brendan, that you know I call that getting back to their ideal hype number, which on a scale of 1 to 10 is 
the ideal emotional state that that particular athlete needs to be in based on them and their personality. Flushing is all about generating great body language, but also making sure that they flush the negative emotions out of their system as quickly as possible and get back to their ideal hype number, their ideal emotional state, again, for them and their personality. And Brendan, that is just as trainable and teachable as a baseline jump hook in basketball. Um, and then you've got the fixed component. Well, the fixed component is how well you repair, you recognize and repair the mistakes that you just made. For example, for a shooter, let's just say that, that there are some technical mistakes that they make. Um, when they curled off that double screen, they didn't square their body. They were off balance. Um, they didn't land on that jump shot. They didn't land uh, in the same place that they took off from. And, and one might argue, well, the greatest players on the planet are, are, are masters at a fadeaway shot. You think about Jordan's postgame and how he developed just that really nasty um, little shimmy and that turnaround fadeaway Jay. Uh, and there are many great players who can do that. But most players at the high school and collegiate level can't do that effectively. And, and it results in more inconsistency when you land in a different place that you take off from. And my point is this, is that there are some technical things that need to be fixed when mistakes are made. And the same thing is for, for a turnover. When an athlete makes a turnover, typically their court vision was compromised. Um, they were nervous or their court vision was compromised. They did not make a great decision. So fixing the technical component of that is very, very important. But there's an even greater, uh, in terms of importance, an even greater thing to fix. And that is actually seeing that skill in the mind's eye. Of course, they call that imagery and visualization. But seeing that skill in their mind's eye and actually repairing it actually regrooves the motor pattern. And I know this sounds a little technical, Brendan, but this is so important and it is so underdone in high school and collegiate sports. At the professional level, they're typically a little bit better about coaching that, but for the most part, the high school and collegiate level, it's, it's underdone. How you use imagery to repair the mistake and actually regroove that motor pattern, how well you do that can actually increase the chances of a successful outcome exponentially on the next play. And so again, that is an, an area which is just as trainable and teachable as any fundamental physical skill in the game of basketball. And last but not least, forget, how an athlete focuses or refocuses after a mistake is absolutely critical. And here's the reason why. Typically, when an athlete is under pressure or they've just made a major mistake, the mind will want to shift and gravitate to consequences and outcome. So let's, let's give an, an actual real-life example here. Let's just say the athlete has uh, a front end of a one-on-one. -on -one. It's late in the game. There's uh, it's, it's a one-point or a two-point game, and there's 20 seconds on the clock. Well, we know that 20 seconds... 20 ticks is a long time in the game of basketball. That's an eternity in the game of basketball. But every free throw, obviously, when you've got a two, one or two or three point spread and you've got one or two minutes left in the game, they're all clutch free throws. Well, if an athlete misses the front end of, of a one on one, now the negative self-talk in many athletes' minds begins. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. Not here, not now. I may have cost my team the game. And very often, the mind will want to shift and gravitate to consequences and outcome of that miss, i.e., I may have just cost my team the game. That is a, uh, a precursor to an athlete choking on the next play. An athlete should never allow their mind to shift to consequences and outcome when they're under pressure or they've just made a mistake because it only compounds the problem. So when we're talking about flush, fix, forget, and we're talking about the third component, forget, 
how an athlete refocuses and how disciplined they are, how much practice, the habits that they've formed in terms of making sure that they have the correct, what I call, go-to sentences in their mind after that mistake is absolutely critical because the mind doesn't multitask nearly as well as we give it credit to actually multitask. If the mind is filled with tough sentences, such as, I'm at my best when it counts the most, I love shooting in the clutch, I can't wait for my next shot, and so on and so forth, where they're actually thinking about a tough response versus dwelling on consequences and outcome. The better you do that, the more you rob your mind of an opportunity to actually think about consequences and outcome, uh, which again, leads to negative plays. So just on a very, very granular level, very detailed level, talking about flush, fix, forget, coming full circle to your question now, Brendan, you can see how each of those three components are tied to aspects of composure and concentration and confidence and certainly commitment. So um, each of those four C's are very critical. But again, just mouthing the words, we need to have more composure under pressure, or we need to have more focus in the clutch, more concentration, or we need to have a greater level of confidence, team confidence, confidence and swagger. Again, mouthing the words doesn't get you there. There actually has to be a transfer of skills. And and I'm a big, big proponent to say the mental part of the game can be taught just as effectively as the physical part of the game. It doesn't have to be a cliched thing where we we say to a a team, hey, we're just going to be mentally tougher this year. What does that mean for Rachel versus Samantha on a women's team where Rachel may have very different mental skills and toughness needs than Samantha? For example, Rachel, Rachel may be um, the best player on the team, but maybe she lacks, maybe she uses her talent as an excuse to have less commitment than some of her teammates or to bring less competitive intensity uh, to practice. Well, in terms of her overall toughness needs, there's a commitment issue there. But that's very different than her teammate who may be very committed. She is the ultimate gym rat. You know, she's kind of quiet and demure, demure. She doesn't have a great deal of confidence and she needs some work on her confidence. She needs to understand how to generate great poise and focus and confidence under pressure. Well, you've got two very different needs, yet both fall under the banner of four C's and both fall under the banner of mental toughness. So it's very important, I think, for coaches not just to be able to teach these skills, but be able to break down individual needs. And it's, and it's, it's critical. I, I think that I'm a, I'm, forgive me for being so simple, Brendan, but but I think that when it comes to a plan, I, I take the simple approach. I, I think that a plan is is basically it has three components. And, and if you can answer these three questions, you have a plan in place. And those three questions are, where am I now? Where am I going? And how the heck do I get there? <laughs> well, as is commonly said in a given season, well, sometimes seasons do not go according to plan. And the reason for that is sometimes the mental part, the toughness part of that plan never existed in the first place. And so I think it's very, very important that coaches are able to assess individual needs when it comes to the mental part of the game and not just handle it in just very big, broad brushstrokes by just telling the team as a whole, we need to be tougher. And I've had enough conversations with coaches over the years, Brendan, where a coach gives themselves a check mark in the box to say, well, I've covered mental toughness or I've covered mental skills because I ran my team into the ground and, and uh, in preseason and we had a very gritty, very tough preseason. Well, that may be the physicality aspect of toughness. That may be an aspect of commitment where they showed great toughness and great commitment, but there was still 
little to no work done in regards to confidence or or composure or, or, or concentration, particularly how an athlete bounces back or how they handle big games under pressure, little to no work. And there may be some coaches that say, well, we drilled our offensive sets again and again and again and again to ensure that it was automatic under pressure. Well, even that, I mean, that's great because consistency obviously is, is consistency in practice is going to help with consistency in big games without a doubt, but only up to a point because I don't care how many reps you get from the free throw line. You can shoot 100 a day, 200 a day, 500 a day. While that consistency is absolutely going to help your shot, absolutely, without question, there is a huge difference between shooting a free throw in practice versus what it actually feels like to have the game on the line with the ball in your hands and you've got one shot. You make it, you advance in the postseason, you miss it, your season's done. I don't care how many free throws you shoot. You can't mimic what it feels like to be in that situation. There has to be more skills that are taught above and beyond just pure repetition. And that's where the mental game really comes into play. That's good stuff, man. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, let's go to some specifics. Sure. Uh, We have the NBA playoffs, the finals, uh, starting tomorrow. Okay, I'm dating this a little bit, but uh, it's okay. Uh, Draymond Green, one of the 15 best players in the league. Uh, Last year... uh, you know, basically cost his team a championship because he lost his composure under pressure when LeBron, you know, committed a dirty play against him. Okay. Now, you're his mental skills coach. How do you work with a player that has high volatility, high temper because he's such a great competitor? And that could be a guy like Rodman or Isaiah, guys like that I've had. But there's a lot of athletes in a lot of different sports. How do you? What? Give me a couple of tips to work with a guy like that. Well, first, with with Draymond, it, it's it's going to be a very very fine line because you don't want to take the personality out of the player completely. Because right. part of what makes that individual great, and some might say he's an overachiever based on his sure. overall athletic ability. I, I don't think I do him a disservice by saying that. In fact, it's very complimentary because it shows that 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 gentleman has heart. Um, great work ethic, great competitive intensity. But there is a fine line between, you can almost look at it like a speedometer on a car, Brendan. What, what do you, do you is, call that? A speedometer? 
A speed a speedometer, yes. yes. I love that in British accent. <laughs> a speedometer on a car that you, you he's definitely a high motor guy. Mm-hmm. So on the height number on a scale of one to ten, um and and I've worked I've not worked directly with Draymond, so I'm assuming um, based on what I've seen in terms of how he plays and how he competes, that he needs to be around an eight to a nine. I agree. Uh, in terms of how he talks to players, and there's a little bit of gamesmanship, and some call that trash talking, and that's just part of his game and his personality. Nine might be but, low. Nine, nine <laughs> might be low for Draymond, yes. Nine might, might be low, but my point is that with every single player in the league, and obviously it's a very exclusive league, with every single player in the league on a scale of one to ten, there is an ideal state where they bring their best game out. And I, I want to be clear about this. There is a distinction between intensity and hype number. It's not the same thing necessarily. And, and the way I would illustrate that as I answer the question about Draymond, the, the way I would want to illustrate that is you can look at a boxer or MMA and you've got two guys or two gals because MMA, they've got some incredible female fighters. Um, you can look at two guys, two girls all right, in, in each respective corner one of them looks like, and this is just before they start fighting, one of them looks like on that hype scale, Brendan, they are an eight or a nine, and, and they're just literally, there's smoke coming out of the ears, the <laughs> nostrils are flaring, the eyes are big and wide, and, and the, the other individual, the other guy, the other gal on the corner, looks like they're on the hype scale, that they may be a two or a three. They almost look disinterested. They are very, very um, emotionally, very even keeled. Now, I'll guarantee you this. When the referee says, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's get it on. There is about to be some serious violence in the middle of the ring. All right? Neither athlete is going to lack for intensity, but one athlete needed to be very high to fight his or her best. The other athlete needed to be very emotionally even killed. Now, both athletes will exhibit tremendous intensity, but that's different than emotional arousal. The athlete who needed to be very low, perhaps he or she needed to be low, so that the first time they get in some kind of armbar, they're not going to panic and tap out. They can think their way through the fight and fight their best. And the reason why I'm sharing that is that every athlete in the league, in the NBA right now, will play his or her best and think the game, see the floor the very best at a certain hype number. Just because, in the, uh, in the instance of Draymond, just because he may be at an 8 or a 9, it doesn't mean that he is effective at a 9.5. Every athlete has their ideal line in the sand, and it's critical. Awareness is critical. Second, awareness of the particular things that can push an athlete over the quote-unquote edge is absolutely critical. So they can actually put a, a sheet of armor around their mind to protect themselves when these things do happen. So they can scenario plan exactly how they're going to act. So, for example, for a very important um, player like Draymond, if one of his triggers is maybe a certain fan getting on him or a certain uh, dirty play by an opponent. If that's one of his triggers and that pushes him over that line, then he needs to scenario plan exactly what he's going to do because opponents, I mean, the NBA is a very smart league. I mean, they, the analytics is very, they're very, very sophisticated. So they know every strength and every weakness of every player and every team. And you know this very well, sure. Brendan. I'm, preaching to the choir with your three decades of experience in the NBA and, and two NBA back-to-back NBA championships that, that you won with Chuck Daly. You, you understand analytics very, very well. There's, they, they keep very detailed uh, accounts uh, of strengths and weaknesses. So knowing this about Draymond, what are they going to attempt to do in the NBA finals? It's likely they're going to play the guy physically 
and maybe attempt to get him ejected or a, or, or a technical resulting in free throws. And it might be a late game scenario where they're going to save this plan. And I'm not saying that, that uh, you know, the Cleveland is a dirty team or any team's necessarily dirty in the league. I'm not saying that for one second. I'm saying that smart teams take advantage of the respective um, weaknesses of, of an opponent and they exploit them. I agree. And so, and so with, with Draymond, you said, well, what couple of pieces of advice would you, would you give them? Well, one of them is to understand exactly where he needs to be at emotionally on that scale and understand the very specific things. And I would go back, I'd look at footage of the last two or three years in the league, and I would come up with a top two, three, four, five incidents where this is a common thread, where these things tend to push him over the line and, and certainly impress upon him. Obviously, you know, he would need to be coachable and um, receptive to this. But if it's handled the right way and it comes from the right person, that's key, too. If it's handled the right way and it comes from the right person, whether it's teammates or whether it's a coach sitting down with him that, that he really respects, it's handled the right way from the right person. And you can show the evidence to say, look, this is consistent. You know, you're great right now. You want to be greater. This is the next level for you. This is next level Draymond Green right here to be able to keep that competitive intensity, but keep that speedometer at just the right level. Because when you start to redline that thing, bad things happen to the engine in a similar manner. Bad things happen to the mind. And if the mind's out of whack, the body's going to do some crazy things. And so, um, Forgive me for the long window. No, no, I love question, that. But, no, I, would, no. but I, w- I wanted to be thorough. No, I love that. Uh, now I want to give you a scenario uh, where um, Gino Oriema, uh, yes. you know, one of the best, if not the best coach in all sports right now, uh, has this incredible winning streak, 108, 111 games and stuff. Uh, and he's very special and gets this. How does one keep obviously no one's going to do 111 but how does one keep a good thing going so to speak as a coach because you have all coaches out there and it might be they win three four five games in a row you know but how does one keep things going well well my, my knee-jerk response brendan is, is that um, and forgive the eye roll cliche but success does breed success in sports especially at the collegiate level. This isn't always true of the professional ranks because crazy things happen with success in the professional ranks, as you know, where sometimes players, they're up for a re-up and they do get paid what they de- they're deserved, or what, the, what they deserve. And other players have a delusional sense where they're very confused about their own self-importance in the world after a championship is won. And all of a sudden, you've got players that are now unhappy. They're not content with um, the, the X amount of dollars they're getting each year and, and the championship. And... It's about getting mine. Yeah. College is a little bit different in the sense that success breeds success, that when you've got a very successful program, you are going to recruit some of the best players, if not the best players in the country. And there are, and I'm going to get into um, a controversial area here in that I'm not trying to say that, that Gino or any other very successful collegiate coach doesn't deserve the success. But part of it, if we're being very honest, is a product of getting some of the best players. Um, if if Gino um, had the, and I'm going to be, I'm going to use a ridiculous example right now. Um, and I, like you, I've got tremendous respect for, for Gino um, and what he's done with that program. Tremendous success. But if we're having a really honest discussion, if he had recruited next year the 10 worst players 
in women's college basketball, he is not going to have an undefeated year, no matter how brilliant he is, no, no matter how much they overachieve. If he recruits the 10 worst players in Division One women's basketball, and getting to that level is it was obviously phenomenal. NCAA Division One is, you know, the very, very good players. But, you know, if you could speak objectively here and rank them, if you had the 10 worst. So the number one thing I would say is success does breed success, and that helps. But having said that, not every program that has a great season or two or three is able to sustain it in the way that he has done. So there has to be something else. And, and I think that one of his many, if you can call it a secret, is how well he recruits character and develops character um, in a very similar manner, one might argue, to, um, to Krzyzewski at, at Duke. Mm-hmm. If you look at character, and, and I believe character to be, if you look at performance enhancement, and I, you talk about the four C's, but you look at the athlete as a whole, I believe there to be a fifth equally important C, which obviously is character. And, and for me, whenever I, I work with, with teams on character and leadership and how they develop great team culture, I use eight key pillars. My, my particular pillars, I, I know them off by heart, integrity, work ethic, um, something I call the X factor, which is a very rare and special type of communication where players breathe life into each other. Um, having a no excuse mentality, I think, is critical. Leadership consistency, i.e., it's not predicated on whether you've just won five in a row or lost five in a row. You are a very, very consistent leader. It's not based on how many minutes you are or are not getting. It's unconditional. It's a very consistent leader. Coachability, um, which we can certainly get into. Um, something that I call class, which is a, a confluence of great sportsmanship, leaving places better than you found it. Um, and, and a degree of humility. And finally, maturity, uh, when the things you should do become more important than the things you want to do. So I look at those eight factors mm-hmm. in regards to my key pillars of character and leadership. And I think that I think that Gino does a phenomenal job of ingratiating people into his culture and building and developing their characters uh, while they are under his tutelage. And I think that, that that's one of many reasons why he's able just to take a program very, very successful and just continue to be just so darn successful year after year after year after year. Um, it also helps that he recruits great character too. Um, when you have your pick of almost any player in the country, you don't just recruit talent, you recruit talent and character that's going to help define and, and, uh, and, and continue to build your, your great team culture. Uh, but again, I, I also think that he is, um, despite the fact that he wins as much as he wins, he does not put winning first. He puts character first, which obviously becomes, you know, perpetuating itself, perpetuating that that also helps winning as well. Yeah, yeah I love that. Uh, we're going to have uh, again starting tomorrow uh, five players off the top of my head that uh, that I'm thinking about that. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll name them first: LeBron and Kyrie. But then on the Warriors, Curry, Clay Thompson, and Durant, who at some points in a game or in the series will get into what we, you and I and others called the zone, <laughs> and yeah. you know, you know, you know, and each of them have done that in extraordinary ways in their career. Uh, talk a little bit about quote getting in the zone. That That is a great comment and a great question at the same time, Brendan. I, I think the zone is often misunderstood, that people see this as this really kind of, um, you know, liberating um, place mentally where people are able to 
be completely stress-free and relaxed and play free-flowing and um, basketball and, and they produce these special performances. Um, now, for some people listening, they might think, well, listen, guy, that's exactly what the zone is. Well, it's, it's actually truth with a small T versus truth with a capital T. Yes, there are aspects of what I've described that, that constitute the zone, i.e. the ability to play free-flowing without too much uh, worry, um, to be at bringing your A game, um, you could seem to do nothing wrong or very few things wrong. But when you really examine what the zone is, is like, and, and I'm, I'm about to stand on the shoulders of some giants from a research perspective, um, where they say any research um, where you get to push research forward just a little bit, you typically stand on the, the shoulders of giants. And I'm, I'm, I'm using an Isaac Newton uh, uh, paraphrase right there. Who do you There's play for? The... Who that guy Newton <laughs> played for? <laughs> Isaac Newton. I think he played in the New, for the New York Knicks in the 70s with, uh, with Fraser and DeBusher. And... I thought so. I, I remember him. Yeah. <laughs> so so um so, so using some previous research which is really good um you know guys like um uh, uh lou hardy and yuri hainan um and i'm gonna uh, a long-winded pronunciation please forgive me but i've got to give the guy his is 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 uh just due here a guy called uh Csikszentmihalyi. um these individuals really created a really good model of what really occurs with flow. And what they found is, is that flow and being in the zone is certainly not in the absence of stress. In fact, it's the opposite. And hear me out here. You need stress to be in the zone. Hmm. And that sounds counterintuitive when you actually hear it on the surface. But when you think about it, if you don't have enough stress, you have boredom. And let me go a little bit further down that rabbit trail for just a second, where a lot of athletes, they, they, they're on a high school team, on a college team, and, and, and they say their goal is, what's your goal this year to win? And we want to win. Respectfully, no, that's not your goal. Your goal is not to win because if let, let's just say, you know, you have a, a high school team and their goal is just to win. Well, if we could do this, if we could go ahead and schedule 22 basketball games against second graders. Every game against second graders, forget about the legalities for just a second. Hear me out here. 22 basketball games against second graders, you will go 22 and 0 this year. I guarantee you. Was that going to make you happy? Well, no. Well, why not? Ah, so it's not just about winning, it's about the ability to win and compete against the very best. And when you're competing against the very best, there is some stress that comes with that. Now, what I'm about to share, Brendan, is the absolute key and the linchpin to this whole thing called the zone. There is a difference between stress and anxiety. Those two things are not the same because the research has shown that if you don't have enough stress, you have boredom. It's almost like being too good. We say, well, that, that was Michael Jordan. No, it wasn't. I mean, there were some very good players in the league when Jordan played. I mean, he had to climb some serious mountains, uh, i.e. the Detroit Pistons as, <laughs> as one of those mountains in order to get to his mountaintop. This wasn't a... This wasn't a stress-free environment, but there's a difference between stress and anxiety. Anxiety is the killer. Anxiety is the thing that can put you in a shooting slump. Having stress is necessary and important for any in-the-zone experience. There has to be a necessary level of stimulation. Now, the other part of being in the zone and having that flow experience is having the talent level and skill level to match whatever, whatever level of stress you're actually facing. So there's really two components to this. One is having a sufficient amount of stress to energize you 
and make you feel like this is a phenomenal challenge. And two, it's having the skill level to match that. If those two things are aligned, you are very, very close to a zone experience. When there's too much stress and it turns to anxiety, there's not enough talent to handle it, then you get into more like a choking situation or a situation where you underachieve in a particular game. When you have an absence of stress, then you have boredom, and then you'll, you won't have a zone in the flow experience. When you have an even balance of stress and the ability to handle stress in the absence of anxiety, that's when you have a flow in the zone experience where you see an athlete just go off and it is awe-inspiring, it's jaw-dropping, it's put the dinner down, put the fork down, I need to watch more of this when it happens. It's one of the most beautiful things to see in all the sports. And regardless whether you're watching a great golfer, a great tennis player, a great basketball player, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's one of the things, that I, one of the reasons why, I'm, one of the many reasons why I'm so passionate about this particular field. Because again, when you train it, that the while there are some physical limitations, the mind is an ever-expanding array of inner horizons. There's just no limit to what the mind is able to achieve with the right type of training um, and the right thought patterns. And so, um, so, so I don't know if that fully answers your question about about being in the zone or or, or having a flow experience. But when you actually break it down those critical components, the interplay of stress, the absence of anxiety, um, and obviously skill level that can actually match the stress level uh, is when you have those experiences. Dr. Spencer Wood, you just gave all of our listeners a PhD in mental skills. Uh, That was spectacular stuff. Um, You know, I think uh, one of the things that when, uh, you know, a lot of our coaches out there, uh, we have that wide variance of people. Um, if they're a coach, uh, that, uh, can afford, let's say, uh, to bring you in, but wants to get, uh, the edge, uh, you know, DVD series, whatever, how, how do they get that? Number one. And then secondly, if there are coaches, and I mean, uh, from prep school, junior college, NAI, all the way up to power five that wants you to come in if you could also give us some contact info and how they to go about that well the opportunity to just deliver a shameless crass plug for my uh <laughs> what i do remember, in my remember company, you're friend, british I, don't forget I, this. <laughs> I, I i i appreciate it um well first and foremost the i do have a program out there that that, that um if you wanted to learn a little bit more information and, and, and how to, to teach this stuff to, to your athletes, uh, you can go to iceboxathlete.com and, and that's athlete singular, not plural, iceboxathlete.com uh, and icebox is spelt how it sounds. And I have a program on there called The Edge. Uh, it's a four-part DVD series that you can either download and, and be mobile with and um, and watch a little bit every day or just uh, watch the whole thing Um um, or you can actually have a hard copy version. Both both versions are available. Um, it's relatively inexpensive. And you can, again, go to the site iceboxathlete.com. Um, if you are interested in potentially bringing me in to work with your team or with the coaching staff at your university or your high school, um, I'm actually more affordable than you, <laughs> than you, than, than you might think. Um, you can certainly send an email directly to info at iceboxathlete.com. Um, and there's uh, there's a couple of staff members that will fill that email and um, in many cases just pass them through to me uh, where we can actually have a direct conversation, talk about your unique needs and whether there might be a very good fit 
uh, there. So um, would would be uh, be delighted to to field that call. Well, uh, uh, since I've obviously uh, you know have and have had uh, you know the DVD and the mobile series uh, of the Edge for years. Uh, it's something I have with me at all times. Uh, but I've also had the great pleasure of number one. Uh, having you come in and work with teams that I've coached and number two having you as our faculty member at coaching you and you're you're the best at what you do and that's that's why I love you so much to uh, work with coaches and our players so Spence it's always great catching up with you and uh, I know and I, I just I love the work you're doing I'm proud of what you're doing and the good thing about you is you keep getting better and better. Well, Brendan, I, I warmly received that, first of all. Thank you for being so kind with your, with your compliments. You're always very, very gracious. And um, I, I know this is, the, I think, the, the second podcast I've done with you here. I always really enjoy them. We, we get into some great conversations. So uh, I look forward to the next one. And uh, I am honored uh, to call you a, a work colleague and, and a friend. Um, very, very honored. I, I, I don't know how many, and I'm not trying to play one-upsmanship here. Well, maybe I am just a little bit, but um, hopefully your listeners understand what you've done in the NBA um, with the Dream Team with um, and on staff there and with the incredible scouting you did and, and obviously um, 30 years of experience in the NBA and uh, two NBA championships um, to to uh, uh, among many other conference championships that you've won in the NBA um, coming from you. The reason why I share all of those things is coming from you. That means so much to me. So thank you for being so kind and so complimentary. Uh, and our listeners again, Spencer Wood, make sure you follow up info at iceboxathlete.com, a treasure. My friend, thank you so much. Look forward to our next visit. As do I, Brenda. Thank you so much. You know, I think one of the things that I enjoy most about the podcast that we do at Coaching You is when you know that you're learning as you're doing the interview. And I have been with Spence 20 times in 10 years, you know. And every single time I talk to him or I'm with him in person, I come away better and learn more. This is one of the most magnificent guys. I hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, he's he's just a, he's a treasure. I mean, an absolute treasure. So, uh, mental skills coaching, player development skills are the two weakest areas I think in basketball coaching today. These are the things that we must brush up on to get better. Uh, make sure you go to our coachingu.tv for any help that you can get. You got Joe Bunasar that you can go on for basketball still training all the people that we have, different areas that you can jump on and improve your game. CoachingU.tv, full set of videos from this year, videos from the past are in our archives. Take advantage of it. Till next week, the coach, Brendan Serve.